This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another edition of Spits and Suds. Great to talk with you after a victory. The Stars win in overtime. I'm Gavin Spittle of 105.3 The Fan. If you missed it last night, we did a post game with Robert Tiffin of D Magazine. He was terrific. And another D Magazine writer, but you also have him on Shap Shots and all over the place. He's my man, Sean Shapiro. It is great to talk with you. Happy holidays. He's our regular on Spits and Suds. He's a massive part of the growth of Spits and Suds. Oh man! So you got to spend time with the kiddos this morning—a little, uh, a little, a little gathering at their school. Yeah, no, it was good. As, as I was telling you before we came on the air, it was uh, with uh, had to go. Got to go do the build the had to build decorate the uh, gingerbread houses for the kindergarten with the with the kindergartner this morning over at the school. So a nice. good way to start the day. Um, she. Uh, I'm I'm not even making this up. This is true. She, uh, while most of the kids were focusing on the house, she focused on building more of the surroundings around the house. She actually built a tiny rink in the yard for her gingerbread house. Oh, so I that's was awesome. Uh, there that's was a, a smile papa. on my face. Yeah. Smile on my face for that one. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it was a. Uh, it's the, the days go. The day's been going well. Wow. So what was your? What ended up being your plus minus as far as? The gingerbread house. Uh, as far as you like, as as far as far as like consumption versus actually making it on. That could be that could be one analytic we could look at. But I I was yeah. thinking the actual the foundation, the building of the house. Did everything stay yeah. upright the first time? I mean, minus if it didn't, plus if it did. Yeah. So the structure was so they had done. It was kind of one of those where they had gone, and so credit to school teachers who are saints for all they do and handle everything right like yep. so they had gone and done kind of a bit of the uh it was like coming it was kind of it was more of the we were more of the uh the decorator slash uh fabricator at the end it was kind of they, they were the ones that were kind of already a little bit more sturdily built came together so the house was already so it wasn't as much of the uh of the five-year-old building the house it was more so of uh, coming in and, and making it their own so it was uh that made it a little bit easier from the building perspective and probably honestly in the long run probably saved the uh kindergarten teachers a lot of grief and tears yeah. i'm assuming and uh as far as the other one the uh we uh as far as the consumption of the of the food versus the decoration uh i'd say it was a uh, for things like the M and M's mm. and the uh, and the Reese's, it was probably about one to one. Okay. Probably for everyone that made it on, there was one eaten. So uh, then uh, there's some other things, uh, and then uh, a couple. I don't I don't think any candy canes were eaten. I think there was a okay. bunch of bunch of candy canes got kind of uh, just, they just became kind of a a key part of the 
structural build of her her master plan so that was uh but the eminent but the uh, m&ms and the reese's there was uh we had to make a couple runs back to the to the table to get some to get some extra building supplies because they were eaten by the uh the builders <laughs> you know every this is really interesting i was just thinking of this guys we'll get to hockey in a second but <laughs> um at halloween the candy corn's the big debate you know do you like candy mm-hmm. corn or do you not yeah. nobody talks about around the holidays that gumdrops make an appearance you never see gumdrops otherwise no you don't right like it's now there were gumdrops in the gumdrops in the build and the kind of decoration but i don't think they're yeah. eaten very i don't think they're eaten i think no. i think gumdrops are more of a i think gumdrops get Gu- the, gumdrops uh, are the garnish ha- yeah, yeah, they get they get the pass because they're they're decorative. Yeah, they're, they're 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 decorative food and not a, to be eaten food. I think I think that's the issue where it's not candy corn. Never really uh, candy corn. You can you can be you can have an opinion one way or the other on it. But even if you don't, but it's not like with candy corn. There's like oh well, we're gonna build something with it. Like gumdrops. Even if you don't like gumdrops. There's still something to be done with them, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, let's start, and Sean will give his thoughts on last night's uh, thrilling overtime victory in just a few moments. But Sean got an exclusive and had the opportunity to sit down with Logan Stankoven, Maverick Bork uh, late last yep. week and wanted to get the latest from those guys and how they're feeling. They were in Grand Rapids playing the uh, Griffins uh, earlier that week. Uh, we had an opportunity on Spits and Suds to talk with Cross Hannis. Really, really nice kid. Um, you know, I hated to see that he got a healthy scratch in one of those games because coming back off that shoulder injury, but he played uh, really well against Texas earlier in the year. We had a nice conversation. You can hear that. Uh, just go back into the Spits and Suds library, and you'll see. Uh, so support him. He's from Highland Village. So tell us the latest on Stankoven and Bork. Yeah, this is actually a great little tease here because I uh, just finished up. This is all fresh in mind. One of the things I did last night was, uh, well, catching, well, watching the. Uh, actually, after finishing that overtime game, I got some work done finishing up a, a story that's going to run in D Magazine on, on Stankoven and Bork. But yeah, so I sat down with them last week, and it's uh, it's really impressive what these two guys are doing for Texas right now. Um, I covered in person the most uh, impressive Texas Stars season history in his in history in, pre- in performance. Um, that twenty um, that two thousand thirteen fourteen season in Texas when Travis Morin, who is now an assistant coach for Texas, um, won the regular season MVP and the playoff MVP and was just dominant. And uh, Curtis McKenzie, our old pal, was uh, yeah. on that team as well and was a rookie and one AHL rookie of the year. And um, you kind of get that feeling right now. You get that kind of special hardware type year feeling with Stankoven and Bork. And now the difference between what Stankoven and Bork are doing and what McKenzie and Morin is doing is McKenzie and Morin um, were, I believe McKenzie had gone all the way through college. I think he was like a 23, 24 year old rookie because he had done four years of college. Um, Morin was already a long-time established AHLer. Um, so not, not to take nothing away what they did, but that was just, they were kind of already established, they were older established players. 
what Bork and Stankoven are doing at 20 and 21 years old right now is it's, it's, I don't want to say unprecedented because it's not, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, f- I feel that like that word gets thrown around too often sometimes with things, but from a Texas perspective, from a stars prospects perspective, we've never really seen a prospect duo come in and light it up together at one time for the Texas stars like this. We've seen guys, you've like, you've seen guys have maybe one guy doing this, one guy doing that, but to see two playing this well. And like right now, um, and because of the fact that the outside factors is like, you look at the stars cap space and we can have discussions about this and people want to or whatever, but because of the stars cap space, there's no room to call these guys up to the NHL. So these guys, like you're looking at the, the, in the clubhouse favorite right now for the league MVP in Maverick Bork and the rookie of the year in Logan Stankoven. And that's just the reality. They have been that good. Um, and one of the things that's most impressive about all of this and take nothing away from Stankoven, obviously he's got to play his game and he's done great. But to me, the Maverick Bork story, and this is something I focus quite a bit about and I would encourage people to read the D magazine story tomorrow as I go deep and more in depth on this too. The Maverick Bork story for what he did this year, what he's doing this year after last year and how he basically stumbled last year and, and, and struggled. And he learned from that, not only for himself, but also for Stankoven. And so it's like Bork almost stumbled. So he and Stankoven could run this year. Like, I was literally just pulling up the stats on it earlier. So this is this is amazing. So let's Maverick Bork. Uh, Texas plays Grand Rapids again tonight, by the way. It'll mm-hmm. be their 25th game. Okay. Um, through 25 games last year, um, Bork with Texas. He had 11 points, only four primary assists, was averaging less than two shots per game. His time on ice was 14.57. And he was getting rocked in the faceoff circle. That was last year as a 20-year-old through 25 games. Tonight, he'll play his 25th game for Texas. So far, through 24 games, he's got 32 points. He's second in the league in primary assists with 13. He's averaging 19 minutes per game. He's averaging three shots per game. It is in a... This is the type of year-over-year improvement that like he's not just doubled what he did last year he's tripled it and it is it's impressive and not only did he set himself up for success like this he and Stankoven have become good friends and he's really kind of gave kind of that skeleton key to Stankoven of how to avoid his own struggles to start the year and they talked a lot about it and everything and, and their games play so well together. It's uh, like Maverick Bork is like the dude is legit. And I don't know. It's hard to track because it's a development league and the, the records aren't kept. So it's hard to pull up everywhere, but like you're also talking about a 21 year old kid who's an assistant captain for Texas. And I can tell you that Neil Graham, the coach of the Texas Stars, doesn't just give that away 
for developmental reasons, you have to earn that role. Neil's a big, you have to earn that letter type role. And so when you've got a team, Texas, obviously we know Curtis McKenzie's the captain down there, but when you have a Texas stars team that has some older, like veteran players, the stars typically bring in to kind of help out with everything. When you've got a, um, Alex and Alex Petrovic and Derek Puya and Alex Petrovic is one of the assistant captains too, but, and you've got a, you got some other guys who you would think would be in that conversation. When you get the 21 year old kid, who's an assistant captain and a leader on the team, it says a lot to me. I just all over. So the Maverick Bork story. And once again, people please read it in D magazine tomorrow or whenever you listen, if, if you're listening, if it's already out, check out, I probably tweeted it already. The Maverick Bork story to me is the biggest thing of all of this because this kid is, you take a first round pick, he expected decent things, and he has set the stage for some incredible potential things in his career. Like this, this kid's exciting. Well, one of the things when he was drafted is everyone talked about was his hockey IQ was high. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's great to see that, you know, the, I, I just wonder the second half adjustments, learning from vets like McKenzie and others down in Texas, but also the ability to retain that information and use it so quick because you're right. The turnaround, not just this year, but when you look at the second half, the fact that, granted, he didn't play, but he was called up for a playoff game and got that experience that just showed how much the organization thought of his second half of last year. Yeah, and I mean, it's the, to me, it's the the growth. It's the ability to... It's the ability, I think the other thing he did, and this is why um, I'm very excited about this kid's future, is the fact he kind of went and was willing to kind of put in the work to learn the other parts of the lineup. And what I mean by that is he was able, willing to do some of the things that a first round pick, a quote unquote gifted top six player he didn't only do that for Texas. He was willing to play lower in the lineup. He was willing to play more defensive hockey. Um, he does all of those things. And you kind of realize like, like it's funny, like they're actually, we're, we're, we're talking glowingly about this duo right now. And they actually haven't scored the past two games, but um, last Wednesday against Grand Rapids, they had a classic, like, this is how you dominate a game without putting the puck in the net. And part of that goes into the full 200 foot game, everything like that. Like to me, like Maverick Bork is, and it's, it's funny because they're the same age and it's, it just shows how good Wyatt Johnson has been. But like Maverick Bork to me is looking more and more like, Hey, we got two of these guys with you. If you're, if you're Dallas, you've got Wyatt Johnson and Maverick Bork. You got two guys like this who can kind of, be like this and honestly i think bork's ready already like bork is ready for the nhl it's just a tendency of the stars don't have the space and it's okay right now that and that's fine this is things are if you let him you let him cook this year in texas you let him win a league mvp you let him do all that and then you just make sure in the offseason you do what's right to get him in the lineup next year because he's ready so Last night I was talking with Robert and he he said something that you've said is let's have this discussion in May. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it is a, a good transition on this podcast yeah. based on what Matt Duchesne 
is doing, yes. what he did last night, how unreal he has looked in a star sweater on a one-year deal, Pavelski on a one-year deal, uh, going through the salaries as far as, you know, control and what Jim Nill can do. I just wonder, it is it is fascinating. I think Stars fans, based on Bork's play, based on Stankoven's play, are you know starting to think to themselves what happens next year. Because I will tell you, Sean, it was amazing in the podcast last night when we asked for questions, how many people were saying, got to re-sign Duchesne now, got to get Duchesne signed. And that's, in, in Robert's warning of let's wait till May is a good one, but... The other element of this is you can get Matt Duchesne if you're looking at your long-term build, right? You can get Matt, you can bring back Matt Duchesne and have Maverick, Bork, and Logan Stakehoven as part of your plan next year. Like, like for example, let's look at it this way. You've got um, Craig Smith, and nothing against what Craig Smith has done, but Craig Smith has been fine. Craig Smith is 34, via UFA next year. There's probably one spot. Um, you have, I mean, it looks like, I mean, Gavin, we've talked so much about, I mean, Radic Fox with a healthy scratch last night. Yeah. We're looking at, we're looking at maybe the final writing on the wall with that at some point. I mean, you can make it work. And that's, that's the thing. I don't, I don't think you, I don't think you avoid re-signing Joe Pavelski and Matt Duchesne because of what Maverick Borker and Langwood Stakehoven are doing. I think you you realize that you need depth. Injuries do happen, because they do. And it's just, I mean, like, the Stars have just been incredibly lucky yeah. at how healthy they've been. It's, it's amazing how lucky the Stars have been. And you are going to need... Um, at some point, as you move in and you kind of make these moves, you're going to have to make some financial decisions. Entry-level contracts for Maverick Bork and Logan Stankoven are going to be golden pieces of roster finagling um, I, w- w- when it happens next year because they are going to be, next year, from a Dallas perspective, if you think about the potential of having Johnston... Bork and Stankoven all making less than all making around 850k I think is what it'll be each on average um that is a huge advantage in the cap era so I it's one of those like I, I hate to go back to the old cliche let's check back in May but it's true there are moves that will be made. like I mean who expected the Vegas Golden Knights to trade Riley Smith after yeah. they won the Stanley Cup right Riley Smith literally gets the Stanley Cup first from Mark Stone as the captain, hoists the cup. Riley Smith gets the cup second. He's gone and traded because to make moves so they could, uh, um, who's the, uh, the the Russian who plays on Eichel's wing? Why am I drawing a blank on his name? Uh, Barbashev. So they, they, they trade, they trade away, they, they trade away Riley Smith so they can, they can keep, they can sign Ivan Barbashev. Decisions will be made. Don't box yourself into decisions right now. Um, don't box yourself into decisions on everything right now. If you can sign Matt Duchesne right now for a nice little $3 million deal next season, great, do it. But if I'm Matt Duchesne and Matt Duchesne's agent, I am waiting till July 1st. <laughs> I am waiting till I am waiting till July 1st and I am 
just just the reality of the finances of life. Matt Duchesne is setting himself for a major payday. Yep. Um, a- after this, so uh, I know you people want to resign Matt Duchesne, and that's 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 great. To me, my bigger one would be uh, getting Pavelski done in season, just because I think there's a uh, he's already shown enough proof of life to me that this is the that you want to keep rolling with this plan. And I, I agree. think, and we also saw on the flip side, I think we've seen what happened in San Jose when they decided to let him walk and kind of how things kind of unraveled after Pavelski left. Yeah, so he's a glue guy to me. Exactly. So to me, Pavelski is the one where I'd be a little bit more focused on getting it done season just because I just, the, the Matt Duchesne market is going to be, fascinating because he's only going to be 33 um he's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of money on the table for him from somewhere and you gotta you gotta figure out what works and what doesn't here so yeah i am i am fascinated because i know agents are in the mix and agent's job is to get the bag and most players want to get as big a bag as possible however i do think there is something and i'll use the dodonoff in different player, however, a nice fit in the Pete DeBoer system, and we've seen thus far the same thing with Duchesne. He has been elsewhere at times, and I don't know, a Matt Duchesne down year might be 40 points. But, you know, he hasn't been that player that we're seeing now. Um, one thing that we're I'm really, really impressed with, Sean, is how good defensively that line has been. Um, you know, not just, not just the offense, which they're providing. And a lot of people could argue that, you know, that could be the top line on the stars right now. I mean, lines are so interchangeable now. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but at the same time, like defensively, uh, with, you know, formerly a a pro offensive Tyler Sagan and a Matt Duchesne, you know, I mean, they're just, I think defensively, that's also a solid line. It is. No, it's, it's a real, well, it's a, it's a strong, well-rounded line. And that's something where even when Marchman struggled offensively, I think Marchman's always been a little bit better defensively than people want to give him credit for. And I think part of that is just because Marchman was brought into the reason the Marchman contract always looked bad and struggled was because you pay that type of money for a goal scorer. You're not just paying for um, defensive presence from a forward. So, that 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 forward line is obviously that line has been great all the way around. And to me, the element that Duchesne has shown is he's shown elements of his game that we really haven't seen in Nashville the last three or four years. And I'm not sure. And this is one of those fascinating things where you can argue back and forth till you're blown in the face about it. Is it Pete DeBoer's system? Is it simply getting out of Nashville? Is it the freedom of like sometimes getting bought out can be one of the most freeing things for a player. Um, look what happened with Val. And I know this one's going to sting for stars fans. I'm bringing it up, but look at Val. Nichushkin. Yep. Val got away from Dallas and was able to reinvent himself. And he has been dynamic. And so if I'm Duchesne, I, I mean, I'm not Duchesne. I haven't made generational wealth in my life playing hockey. <laughs> but if if you're Duchesne and you're in this spot, you could 
do you do you want to win? Do you want to do you want to? I think he wants to win. I think he like likes playing. I think culturally, he really likes Dallas. So I, mean, I don't I don't like the word hometown discount here, but I think maybe you have you definitely have some sway there that you wouldn't have in some other places. Um, so obviously, you you see if you can get something done, but from his perspective, you haven't done your you haven't done your due diligence if you don't go to market after a season like this, unless the stars just come and blow, blow your blow, blow things out of the water with their offer right now. So last night we saw it a little bit in the blues. We saw it a little bit on Saturday night where Thomas Harley moved up. To, oh, he was good. He was yeah, so good. Last he was night. really, really good. And we saw him paired with Miro Heiskanen um, at times. Mm -hmm. um, that's something you've been advocating to see. And, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, clearly after the two games, I'd like to see it on a consistent basis um, and wanted to get your thoughts and what you're seeing as far as uh, the maturity. Once again, that's a player who was down in Texas and yeah. really just, I mean, you know, was up with the stars and was one of those guys that was fighting to get in the lineup, sent back down to Texas and it just felt like he got that groove, was playing on the number one power play down there, getting lots of minutes, you know, watching the veterans and how they go about it. I think he even admitted, you know, that he learned down in Texas. Um, and then once he was called up late last year, you know, it's it's really been a great story. And I read about this last week and it's like and I don't want to to crap on Nils Lundqvist for this, but it's just true. We've gone out of our way. And argued, well, this is why it hasn't worked for Nils Lundqvist. Or the Stars need to do this or that for Nils Lundqvist. And this and that and the other. There's all these excuses. All these excuses for young players that we often find times to, to bring in. Thomas Harley, we've never made excuses for. We've never had to. He's gone from, he came up, played his game. There was never, ah, man, we, uh, you got to look past this. You got to look past that. There's never been anything like that. To me, the Thomas Harley story is how much he has saved the stars, A, by bringing an adequate potential, either either playing with Miro, which I like. I like that a lot at times. Um, or have him drive his own pairing. I mean, the only, the only flaw with Thomas Harley is he's not right-handed. Like, if he was right-handed, you'd be like, okay, this is yeah. this is the this is the Kale McCarr to Devin Taves that that sure. Dallas is going to roll out for seven years now. That's the only flaw with Thomas Harley. Um, it, that's not even a flaw. Um, it's and I I I love his uh, the thing I love most about his game last night, and it's not just the goal. Like the Duchesne pass on the goal is great. I love the kind of, he's got a bit of that, uh, this is an old Hitch word. I know Ken Hitchcock and I butted heads on several things, but one of the words that I liked that Ken Hitchcock used quite a bit was moxie, right? Mm -hmm. And I think Thomas Harley's got a bit of that moxie for the moment where he understands kind of that showtime space, that place to step into a vacuum and take control of a game. And he has more of that moxie than Miro Heishkinen does. And I'm not saying he's a better player than Miro Heishkinen, but like, you know what? Do you understand what I'm saying with this? Yeah. Office, Gavin, where no, I Miro Heishkinen is, Miro Heishkinen is a great player, world-class player, 
Um, one of the best defensemen in the world. If I'm making picking my franchise, Miro's in the top. If, if I'm building a franchise, Miro is definitely going near the top of a draft. Yeah. But Miro Heishkin plays the same game, whether it is uh whether it's zero zero in the second period or 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 two to one with a minute left in the third period or seven one in the in, in seven one in the second or three th- or four four in overtime. That's fine and that's great. But you need guys who, even if they can't play at Miro's level all the time, they've got that dial where they can turn it up to 11 when the moment demands of it. And that's what Harley brings. And I love that about his game. And I hope, like, I would I would hope, like, if you're a in that locker room trying to see maybe, is there is there any way to squeeze out a Miro Heishkinen? Is it pairing him with Harley in some of those moments where when the other guy on the pair is turning it up, is seeing the opportunity, is seeing the moment, does it uh, not light a fire, but does it kind of make Miro Heshkin even a little bit better? Because that's what Harley has. So yeah, I, I hope that all makes sense. No, it, it does. And Josh Bogorot um, uh, tweeted last night, Thomas Harley's the only D-man in the NHL have a power play goal, a shorthanded goal, and an overtime goal this season. Eight total goals are just one off the league lead for defensemen. So, um, yeah, he's been impressive. And I like what you said about the moxie because I think being sent down to Texas, I think the moxie was there in Dallas. From what I heard from a very good source, Sean, was the moxie could be um, a little too confident. And I think going down to Texas and learning the game and coming back with a moxie that has confidence, but um, just a growth mindset. So uh, really, really, really excited about, you know, what he's, I mean, it's. Well, yeah, I, I, I sat down with him. This is really good, actually. So this would have been, what year would this have been? So this would have been, uh, because it was. I want to make sure I got the year right on this because everything like everything that happened between 2019 and 2020 in the world just feels like it lasted 17 years, but it was uh okay. So it was during the 2019, um, 20 season before the, before the world went to shit in 2019, 20, yep. and he was playing with the Mississauga steelheads. Um, and I was actually in Mississauga and sat down with Harley where he's still just a OHL, OHL defenseman. He had like 50, six or 57 points and 60 games or something like that that year. And he, he had ego. Let's, let's be clear. He had a lot of ego in the way he talked. He had a lot of ego in the way he walked. He had a lot of ego in everything. Like you could feel it. And I remember talking to Rich Peverly about it. And one of the lines Rich Peverly used to with me was no one ever made the NHL without a healthy ego. And I've always thought of that line. I've always remembered that line. And it's ironic because it's a Thomas Harley thing that brought up the conversation with Pevs about it. But that healthy ego is so important because it's such a fine line of what goes too far and what and what makes someone feel entitled, makes them not work hard, yada, yada, yada. Like, And Harley is a perfect example of how he really dialed that in because you could even 
When he was in the OHL, he was hot shit. He knew he was hot shit. He didn't really have an issue giving off that vibe with his body language. He still has that when he plays, which is good. But I don't think it's not the same anymore away from the ice. It's not the same in the way he works. And I'm giving the kid a ton of credit. I mean, he's he's still only 22 years old, but like his maturity in the past four years from 18 to 22, like now we all, hopefully we all matured quite a bit between 18 and 22, but like he's really matured between 18 and 22 and um, he could have been in a spot where, and uh, full credit to him because it's impressive. Guy on the ice the last night that I'm interested in, Seattle's Adam Larson, right-handed shot. Thought he played really good last night. I just think he's a solid D-man. Um, I think his name's always mentioned because he was traded for Taylor Hall, um, <laughs> you know, in that in that big deal. But I just think he's had a terrific NHL career. And, I mean, it's just what – you know what he reminds me of, Sean? And I'm going to throw – I'm way back in Stars history. Matthias Nordstrom. And I think okay. Matthias Nordstrom was a, a better defenseman you know, he was kind of like back yeah. when they had shut down. But I yeah. just watched Adam Larson last night. And, you know, I love the guys that you're mentioning in Arizona as far as potential trade targets. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, it's still early in this process. But, you know, depending on where Seattle ends up, I was thinking to myself, you know, it's a it's a fair contract. It's only $4 million And he's, you know, in control next year. So you could have him for next year as well. So I just wanted well, to throw that, that out there and get your yeah. thoughts. And I, I actually like, I really like that idea just from in, in concept, right? Like yeah. if, if from, from in theory, like I think Adam Larson would be Adam Larson would fix the stars defense. Honestly, yeah. that would be the thing. You're like, okay, you need a right-handed D man who can play with Miro. Boom. Yep. There's Adam Larson. Not going to kill you cap wise. Um, not going to kill you cap wise and it's uh and he's played and, and, and he's gonna he's gonna and he can fit and he can play and allows thomas harley like i think larson played like 25 26 minutes last night <laughs> um i i would love that because all of a sudden you could you could play a role where you're like okay we have a in dallas you have a hishkinen um larson pairing playing 25, 26 minutes a night. You get Harley playing 20 minutes a night with either Lindell, maybe maybe you get a chance to retry the Lundquist thing, who knows, whatever. But you get Lind, Lind, you maybe Lindell and Harley or Hockenpah and Harley, and they're playing another 20 minutes. You've taken 45 minutes of a 60-minute game right there. Yeah. And now, all of a sudden, your Ryan Suter problem? Yep. It's It's not a problem anymore. You're, is this guy uh, handling situations? These aren't problems anymore. Now, it would, (laughs) to get Larson out of Seattle would be tough. It's, uh, as you said, he's he's making only $4 million. He's under team control for next year, too. Seattle, I know, has struggled, uh, has not lived up to what the sky high expectations were after they kind of <laughs> outperformed last year, but yep. they're they're still only three points behind Arizona for playoff spot as we talk right now. Um, 
I think there's a belief in Seattle that there's they're they're still building. They've always kind of been building towards year three and four. They're in year three now, and um, taking removing Larson from the situation now just doesn't seem to make sense for them. Um, so that that's the issue. It's the the issue is the cost, the acquisition cost, because if I'm Seattle and I actually talked to quite a few people in the Seattle organization. It's one of the organizations I'm a little well-sourced with. Uh, it's hard to see um, them not immediate, and they watch Texas all the time. It's hard for them not to immediately say, that's great. Uh, let's let's start the conversation with with with, with one of those two guys <laughs> yeah, that's first or second in the league in the AHL right yep, now. Yep. So it's hard. It's just it's just the reality of it. So yep. okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, that's a great point. That is a, that is a very good point, Sean. Uh, all right. So a lot happening in the NHL. I did want to start with a Stars topic, and yeah. if you think the Board of Governors will look at this, so on Saturday night. Due to cap constraints only, with Ottinger going down, the yeah, stars. I, talk, I do want to talk about this. Yeah, the stars use the e goalie because they could not call up Matt Murray yet. And my question is, will the league look at that? Because the emergency goalie intent is if both goalies do go down, but you know, will this be looked at as the league and say, hey, you can only use this in the event of an injury? Yeah, so the, the league won't look at it. It's something because the the Maple Leafs set the the uh, the bar for it. Last the Leafs did it last year a couple times um, when they were dealing with their goalie injuries, and uh, they signed the, some kid from University of Toronto to back up Justin uh, Wall uh, Joseph Joseph Wall yep. a couple times. So um, the league won't look at it. That's not going to change anything. I do, however, and I know it's. I have an issue with it. I I do have an issue with what the stars did on Saturday. And I don't and I know I played goalie myself. You're supposed to be all rah-rah for the e-bug. It's a fun story, yada yada. But at the end of the day, Gavin, the reason that people listen to podcasts like this, the reason that people watch the sport is it's entertainment. And it is a business and it is something where you're trying to put the best product out there. And I have a problem with the concept of where, in theory, putting out the best possible product for consumers when we are the concussion spotter away from Scott Wedgwood getting out of the game and a guy who last played a real competitive hockey game in 2018 for Niagara Jeez. playing in an NHL game. I have a big issue with that yep. because it's not, it's, it's, it's one thing if it happens, if it happens in mid game, if, Hey, starting goalie gets hurt, backup goalie gets hurt. Okay. Shit happens. But when you, you can't go in to warmups that way. Like I, I have a big issue with what the stars did and like not, not an issue. The stars followed the rules. They found the loophole. Same way that, same way that the Tampa Bay lightning and, uh, when the Lightning won the Stanley Cup, they made sure they utilized LTIR properly. They they used the, they found the rule and they used it right. Same way Chicago did with Patrick Kane when they won the Stanley Cup in 2015. The Stars basically found the loophole in the rule that Toronto used last year and used it to their advantage. Fine. 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 
I'm not upset with them using the rules. I'm upset that it's just it's you should not be allowed to do that because you can't go into warmups where you're one injury away from. And this is nothing against Joe O'Brien. The guy was stacking kegs the other night. Like you can't like that. You, that guy can't be right. One one injury away from playing in what is allegedly the best the best league in the world at your sport. You, yeah. you can't have that. It delegitimizes the game for me. And I I think honestly, the stars should have been forced to send either. Um, uh, Thomas Harley or Wyatt Johnston down to the minors for a game. Because if you want to live close to the cap, and it's the whole Icarus situation, right? You want to fly close to the sun. You want to be at the cap. You're going to get burned sometimes. and You're going to have to make tough decisions. The stars only have two waiver exempt players. They could have had another one. Remember, I, um, and I, I bet this is even timestamped for us. Like how many times have I said they should have waived Joel Hanley a month ago, uh, right? I would say about five or six, and I'm on exactly. that bandwagon too. So they could have waived Joel Hanley a month ago, and then they wouldn't have had, then they would have had a choice. Okay, we could have sent Joel Hanley down, and then we could Joel Joel Hanley down or Wyatt Johnson or uh, or Thomas Harley. But the Stars should have been forced because of how close they lived to the cap to send either Wyatt Johnson or Thomas Harley down to open up the space to get a goalie. You should not be allowed to play an NHL game without two NHL goalies. Agreed. That I, I if if you're if you're gonna play and use the emergency basis on a forward, it sucks, but you know what? That's fine. It's still a hockey game. Yep. For the kid watch for the kid watching like it it's also the other thing on this and with the whole emergency backup goalie stuff, right? Like everyone will point to the situation with uh David Ayers in Toronto. What if the David Ayers situation had gone, hadn't been in Toronto? Okay. David Ayers, the reason David Ayers was willing, was able to come in and play and face shots and everything like that. He practiced with the Marlies. He practiced with AHL players all the time. He practiced with pros. He looked really sloppy in that game. Let's not pretend that he was good. Like that game was one of the greatest coaching performances of all time by Rod Brendamore. The fact Rod Brendamore won that game should have won him the Jack Adams that year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you look at like I've come on and, and this is once maybe even listens to this show and I'm sorry if he's listening to this right now, but Thomas Hodges, like when Thomas Hodges comes into the game for the Ducks against the Stars a couple years back, he plays faces three shots in the third period and it just turns the game into a farce. Like I mean Yeah. It's you can't have that type of you you can't have that type of person one injury away from playing and i i don't blame the starters for what they did they decided hey we're gonna we're gonna where this is what the rules are but i i really think the league to be the equivalent would be um gavin the equivalent would be uh the cowboys going into that sunday night game against the going to the sunday night game against the the Eagles and like, all right, well, uh, if, uh, if Dak gets hurt, if Dak gets hurt, don't worry. We've picked the guy who, who really slings it really well at the Thanksgiving football game with his, with his, here's yeah. the 30 year old. Like that's the equivalent. It's yeah. the equivalent. It's y- you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. And the other thing that 
I mean, people could say, well, hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, yeah, it is. When you're looking at the, the race right now in the Central and you're seeing three teams that are basically shuffling for first place in the Central, and yes, you're absolutely right. It is December. But I look back at some of these Stars teams in the past, like, was it last year? No, probably the year before. And I say, wow, Arizona took two games. You were swept by Montreal. Ottawa, you were swept by. You know what I mean? Two points is two points. And I look well, back okay, at the yeah, season. Yeah. And here's the other thing, too. Okay. Right now, St. Louis is actually, as, as, as much as they got Craig Brube fired and they've been struggling, St. Yeah. Louis is only one point behind Arizona for the second <laughs> wild card right now. Yeah, okay? I know. Like, say Joe O'Brien goes in, hypothetically. Say Scott Wedgwood got hurt. Joe O'Brien goes in and gets cranked for 12 goals. I'm not even kidding. 12 goals. Like that's legitimately possible. You put somebody in net who has not faced NHL shots regularly, you will be obliterated. Yeah. That is just the reality of it. And this is not like, like I, that's, that's the reality of it. So what does it do to your playoff race? Hypothetical situation. Now the blues won that game. So it's, it's fine. And O'Brien didn't play. But what if Joe O'Brien plays that game and the blues win? And at the end of the year, the Blues make the playoffs by one point because the Dallas Stars decided they had an e-bug as they're we're going to play an e-bug instead of being responsible about their cap management. What do you say to the team that missed the playoffs by one point because yep, of that? I agree. So I don't no, absolutely. It's a, it's a really interesting topic. The other interesting topic that's being talked about hockey night in Canada, you know, had a big round table discussion r- regarding it is boarding in the NHL. And it seems mm-hmm. like that every week we're seeing some game misconducts handed out, other times no penalty on the play, and a lot of times skaters are taking justice into their own hands and handling yeah. business. And I just wanted to get your thoughts and if you do feel as though this is becoming more and more of a league, you know, wide issue that somehow the league can address because, uh, you know, I it just seems like, Sean, every few games we're seeing a game misconduct for that penalty. Yeah, it's it's hard to... It's hard to kind of uh, pick... to pick on the referees in the moment, Gavin, actually. Sure. This is one where, like, I think it's as much as people want to get mad at referees, like, Referees actually do a pretty damn good job. As much as people don't like to admit it, that is the, the the truth. Referees do a much better job than people ever want to admit. I do think there's something the league can do in a um in an after like reviewing afterwards to kind of see to kind of uh, just to kind of make sure everything is called like like it or not while they all read the same rule book every ref is going to see something slightly differently. Just like every umpire has a different strike zone in baseball. Like, um, so I don't think it's possible for complete uniformity as long as we have humans calling the game. And I also don't think we want robots calling the game because I think that's, I think that kind of takes away some of some of the other elements of it. So, um, I do think there's more the league can do as far as a enforcement afterwards. Um, it's it's a weird time in the NHL though, Gavin, for what does and what doesn't get 
quote unquote vigilante justice on the ice. Like, um, so, uh, before I came home and watched the Dallas game on tape last night, I was, uh, I was at the Detroit game and in the first period or sorry, in the, yeah, in the first period, um, Clint Costin runs Ducks goalie Lucas Dostal basically and gets a goalie interference call for it. No one on the Ducks did anything to Clint Costin. And I'm not even like, it's just the fact that a guy can charge your net, can yep. skate your net hard and then skate the net hard and run your goalie over, literally run him over. And now a penalty was called and everything like that. But the fact that something like that gets zero reaction on ice. Now, but then we get some other things that, that like it's, I don't know. It's, it's the whole, and this is, this might be a great question just to kind of tee up bloods on next time you have them on is what is the right and wrong time for a quote unquote fight or rough or whatever you want to call it now off a big hit? Because I think there are too many times now where we have a big hit and it's clean and the player who delivered the big hit has to fight yep. because they delivered the big hit. And you're like, they made a hockey play. Why yeah. do they have to sit in the box for five minutes? Yeah. Like, I, I, th- I think this would be a great conversation for you to bring up with Lutz as someone who a played in the time when just kind of to talk a little bit about that, because his insight would be interesting on this too. Yeah, no, I, I definitely so, will ask him about that. I yeah. did ask about this. And one of the things that we did have a really interesting topic. So the last time, if you're listening to this, go back to listen to the Spits and Suds, our last episode uh, with Luds. And one of the things that we talked about, Sean, was checking is not being taught as much in the lower levels, and taking a hit is no longer really taught. And that is something that when Luds was coming through the system and when he was at North Dakota and when he got to the NHL, he was taught a lot of those, like, when you go in, your head has to be on a swivel, but you have to make sure that you're in proper position. So I'm not saying it's not a penalty, but what I'm saying is these guys are, these defensemen are going in or forwards are going in and they're paying no attention to what's coming from behind. And yeah. they have to protect themselves for the longevity of their career. I'm not saying what the other player does is right, but you're right. It Fighting or, you know, it has become a situation where you're right. A big hit is equivalent to an inside pitch. Like if Bob Gibson was still alive in baseball, he'd be like, are you kidding me? Like you're jawing at me because I threw inside. That's my whole strategy. And I think it's the same way in hockey, a big hit, you know, I mean, it's, it is interesting. And then you have those situations like Anaheim. And we had a situation like this late in the game last night where Yanni Gord, um, you know, I, I personally, after seeing the replay, um, I think he tried to stop. He got really close. I mean, you could see the snow yeah. coming up from his skates. But I was glad that the you know stars took him in the corner and corner and created that scrum. That's what you want to do to protect your teammates and say, if you want to go in this area and if you want to get that close to our goalie, then you're going to have to answer to us. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's like kind of what happened to, and maybe the Ducks did this last night. I don't know. Because Gudis absolutely, Racco Gudis later in the game absolutely leveled Costin, and Costin <laughs> left the game. Yeah. On a, on a, Gudis leveled Costin on a big clean hit at the blue line, like very Scott Stevens esque. Maybe that's maybe that's maybe that was the classic take a number, we'll get him later type deal. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. But like it just feels like that doesn't now 
it's the game you don't you don't hit as much anymore um like it used to be so the game because of how um because of how well defensemen skate right it used to be the four check used to be a uh it used to be the coliseum almost like the four check was like like yeah i get i get i get 20 strides the guy's got the puck i've got like even though this is i I get to find the line between charging and hitting and i get to run this guy into the sixth row that's what four checking used to be yeah four checking has changed right four checking is now and i've talked to a bunch of players about this lately because this is kind of fresh in my mind four checking now has become more and more about just delay the puck Delay the puck, delay the puck, delay the puck. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's not a physical hitting space anymore in the game, right? Um, And I think, especially because when a guy does come and he's huffing and puffing and his arms are are, are cranking through and he's coming in for the big hit, that's when the defenseman skates so well now that they just spin off of it and all of a sudden you're going five on four the other way. It's just like, it's it's the, the element of where physicality is in the NHL now is just fascinating to kind of see the evolution of it. And I hope I've made some relevant points because I'm going to use my favorite line on this show, Gavin, and get me back on track. (laughs) (laughs) DJ Smith fired in Ottawa. And uh, yeah, really, really interesting. Watching Ottawa on Friday night, they're one of those teams that says, how are you not better? I mean, it's just so interesting. So let's see if they get that, what we call the bench bump where we saw in Minnesota, where we saw in Edmonton. Um, But I did want to point out something that I wonder if this is a trend in the future for NHL teams that are struggling and make a change. When Edmonton made their coaching change, they also took Paul Coffey, who is beloved in Edmonton, number up in the rafters, famous number seven, and they brought him down onto the bench, and he's been working with the Edmonton uh, mm-hmm. defenseman, yeah. and there's been a lot of improvement. Well, DJ Smith is fired, and Jacques Martin, and one of the things, when a special advisor is brought in, watch out. <laughs> yeah. So he's brought in good, as a special that's advisor. That's never a good sign, yeah. Yeah, long career in the NHL, but also highlighted that all-time um, leader in points, Daniel Alfredson, is going to be an assistant to Martin. So two questions. Do you see this as a possible trend? And do you think you'll see a, a a bench bump in Ottawa based on the coaching change? Show me a fired coach and I'll show you bad goaltending right now. Oh, good um, point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, let's, I just pulled it up while you were going through Jonas Corposalo, 17 games, 892 save percentage. Anton Forsberg, 11 games, 876 save percentage for, for Ottawa. So, um, it's uh, sometimes uh, the coach wears it for the goaltender. I, I do think there is a, you mentioned Paul Coffey, you mentioned Daniel Alfred said, I do think one of the things the Montreal Canadiens kind of stumbled into um, when they hired Martin St. Louis as their head coach is the fact that you need that today's player kind of likes having someone who played who played more recently 
right there in their corner, as in they get the game. Now, Alfredson obviously hasn't played for a little bit, but he still played recent enough. And um, obviously St. Louis played recent enough. And I, I do wonder if teams are looking at what happened with Montreal and how St. Louis has kind of helped uh, uh, Cole Caulfield and uh, a couple other guys in Montreal. If, if there's been more of like, okay, today's player, this generation of player, it's 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 a generation that uh it's not just oh respect your your coach it's a i want proof of life that this guy also did it at the top level like i'm doing it right now and i wonder if this kind of goes back further to the uh to the same kind of reverberation long term of the saint louis hire with that just that's just a theory right now because i think it's I think it's going to be harder and harder going forward for coaches who never played yep. to um, connect with NHL players. I think so often now in society in general, we there's so much stimuli, there's so much everything. We we thrive and we we search for shared experiences. That's one of the biggest things, like one of the biggest connections, connector points for human beings in general, not sure. just hockey players. Sure. And I, I think the they played the they, they played the game recently enough is one of those things. It's not just a um like and you need that person on staff and everything. And I know there's lots of people who like Jim Nill played the game. Like there's lots of old guys who played the game who run the NHL. But I think maybe the course of no one on Dallas, no no one on the stars remembers watching Jim Nill play hockey. Yeah. Yeah. No one on the stars remembers watching and I mean Paul Coffey's a little bit older too, but at least Paul Coffey's a legendary name. Yeah. Kids on 20 20 something year olds, 25 26 year olds now, they watch Marty St. Louis when they were kids. Right. They watched Daniel Alfredson when they were kids. It's it's the like relatability. It's the relatability. I I saw speaking of age Gavin, and this is going to make me feel really old. This okay. made me feel really old the other day. I was at the World Junior uh, World Junior Camp last week, um, and uh, Team USA looks very good. By the way, I'm thinking maybe uh, we should probably do a World Junior preview. Actually, love Gavin. it. We should, try, we should we should do one of those uh, if we can figure that out before uh, the tournament gets going. But I was talking to uh, uh, one of the uh, r- younger writers who was there covering a kid who's a uh, he's either a junior or senior at the University of Michigan, and obviously Michigan's got a high uh, number of players on that world junior roster and talking to him. And I made a, uh, I made a mighty ducks reference to something and uh, just kind of something from the movie. Cause it reminded me of something. And the kid had never seen the mighty ducks. And I'm like, this is like, I'm like, I'm like I can't be old enough where I'm making a mo- reference to an old movie and it's D three. This can't be, this can't be where I am now in life. So, <laughs> no, I, I know, I know we're, we're, uh, we're getting old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that happened to me a while back where, uh, you really got me. And I said, this is one of my favorite songs that the kinks did. And I was actually on a date and she said to me, she goes, no, Van Halen sang that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, it was the kinks. Van Halen covered it. And like it I had to, yeah. you know, show her and stuff. So I mean, it it happens. And yes, uh yours is a more recent example. Yeah. And yes, yeah. we are we are getting old. And speaking of which, great transition. Um, because something happened last night that wanted to get your thoughts to end this podcast. So yes, mm-hmm. I am a nostalgia buff. 
and you mentioned the word entertainment. The game is supposed to be entertaining. So on the topic of new coaches, John Hines and the Minnesota Wild play Pittsburgh last night. Mark andre mm. Fleury is nearing the 1,000 marks in games. This is likely, unless something crazy happens, going to be the last year we see Mark andre Fleury. So, therefore, that would be the last game he would play in Pittsburgh. They play a back-to-back. They're at Boston tonight in Pittsburgh last night. Hines plays Philip Gustafson instead of Marc-Andre Fleury. Even Sidney Crosby was asked about it and said, would have been nice. I don't make the decisions, but it would have been nice to play against my old teammate one last time. Yeah, it's it, that's one of the tough ones where it's... Uh, this is the thing. This is the issue that hockey has. One of the issues with the NHL, not the issues, it's just the reality of the sport. Um. And I actually attribute this to one of the reasons that to connect a really weird roundabout way. One of the reasons that Mike Madonna and Dallas took Dallas a little while to give Mike Madonna a statue and they had his awkward departure into Detroit. You, d- you, you don't get human victory cigars in the NHL. And I think that's something that sometimes we need to remember mm-hmm. in other sports in baseball, right? Um, what was it? Two, three years ago, Ichiro Suzuki's playing for Seattle, but he's not really playing at that point. He's there. He's having a couple at bats. He's the 25th man on the roster. You don't, you can use the 25th man spot on the roster. Football, you have 52 guys in the roster. I know every spot's valuable, but you have 52 guy spots. Even in Dallas, like, this is no disrespect to Dirk Nowitzki, but like, if Dirk Nowitzki had fallen off a cliff, he could have been still been the 13th man on the roster and played two minutes and could have gotten his wave to the crowd everywhere he went and all that stuff, right? You don't get human victory cigars in the NHL. You don't get the space on the roster for that. You have to play. You're going to you're gonna play 12 forwards. You're going to play six defenders. Um, you, From a goaltending perspective, like Minnesota needs to win games right now. Yep. Fleury has not played well lately like he hasn't played well and it's kind of one of the things that it's just the nature of the sport we want these romantic endings and everything like that and i think sometimes we 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 compare hockey to the nba because they're in the same building and like going back to the madonna thing everyone's like oh well you could have done one last season the way dirk did you couldn't have done that madonna had fallen off a cliff you had to let him go and it's it's kind of one of those things where I think you have to sometimes remember the nature of the sport we're talking about. It is, it is fast. The reason we love it and the reason it's the fastest game on earth is because it pushes people out because it's, you can't, you can't just meander your way into it. Like it's the reason what Joe Pavelski is doing is so impressive. And so I get it. It would have been fun. It would have been really fun to see flurry play that last game in Pittsburgh and everything like that. But at the end of the day, John Hines job, which he'd like to keep, I think is to try to win more hockey games. Agreed. And Minnesota probably at a spot where, you know what? That game, second game of a back-to-back in Boston. That feels like a schedule loss. Honestly, the Bruins are rolling second game of a back-to-back. 
I'm going to try my best to win the game that I can win in Pittsburgh. So yeah, I, I get it. I, I get, I get the nostalgia. I get all of the factor. I get everything. It's just, you just, the sport doesn't allow for it. It's, it's just, it's just an unfortunate side effect of how great the sport can be. And maybe he'll get up lit to lit up tonight. But to me, watching this guy's career, he could have a good one tonight too against Boston. <laughs> Well, he's, just, it, he's he's that kind of guy like oh he, he he definitely could he he definitely could he also like in today like mark andre Fleury to me i know there's times he talks about retirement and all that stuff but what if it is this what if this isn't the end like what if he goes and pulls a craig anderson <laughs> and like yeah. and go and then and then all of a sudden like like it's not John Hines' job to make sure Mark Andre Fleury gets his retirement tour. When in theory, all of a sudden, there's nothing stopping Mark Andre Fleury from signing with, say, Arizona next. Like I don't Arizona's an extreme example, but like there's nothing stopping him from still playing somewhere next year. And his, and like his eight eighty six save percentage, while not great this year. Not nearly as bad when you look at where the state of the league is right now. I mean, yeah. the NHL goaltending is not nearly as good as it used to be right now. For and, and the offense has been better and everything. So the fact that uh, if Flurry is still playing somewhere next year, it wouldn't surprise me. It's not John Hines' job to right. make sure that potential last game is there or or, or whatever. And that's so. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And I did want to throw out Kevin Shevelday. I mean, kudos, Winnipeg. The fact that you're sticking around, the fact that you're in the mix, the fact that you're playing good hockey, the fact that you took a chance on Gabriel Velarde and he's healthy now mm-hmm. and contributing, and you actually, you know, players that came here want to play in Winnipeg, and that's important with a small market like Winnipeg. You want players who want to play in that city. So yeah. I, I did want to shout them out real quick. I'm sure we'll talk about it. Um, when we do a deep dive uh, on the Central Division in the future. But, um, man, I've taken up so much of your time. You've been awesome. This is one of those podcasts um, I want to go back and listen to because it's really funny because the tab on my phone is about eight tabs open right now because I had so much to talk to you about and stuff, and it was great to highlight, you know, last night's game, but bring in subjects from last night's game. So a couple of cool podcasts up uh, so, Sean, you're a beast, and we need to support Sean this season. Don't know if you saw the uh, tweet yesterday, but it was going around that one of our Spits and Suds listeners that uh, direct messaged me and said, hey, um, I'm a little nervous. Uh, can you help me out with hockey? I can't ask my friends. And I said, sure. So we've been going back and forth and everything. Well, yesterday at Barnes & Nobles, he found a Sean Shapiro book. And that is wonderful it, news. Yes, and he picked it up, <laughs> and then someone else responded and said, I have that book, but it's signed by Sean. And it was really cool. It started this little Twitter thread about Sean Shapiro's book. So the latest one's called We Win Here, and it's the story of the Texas Stars and how a lot of the players made it up to Dallas, some amazing stories, and really talks about the Texas Stars franchise. So there's still time to uh, pick it up. How can you also support Sean? Shap Shots. You can support him through there at Sean Shapiro, EP Ringside, and his new article coming out, if it probably has dropped already, in D Magazine. So what you want to do, I said this about Robert last night, just keep clicking. That's <laughs> Just sit there for five minutes and just click, 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 click. 
to get those hits up because I will. I, I really want to stand on the podium just for a second and say, D Magazine, you're awesome. While others are cutting back on hockey coverage, we're looking at Sean Shapiro, David Castillo, Robert Tiffin writing uh, articles in D Magazine about the Dallas Stars. So, round of applause, massive stick tap to uh, D Magazine for that. You're a beast, my friend, and I will talk to you soon. Uh, man, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And uh, everyone, thank you for listening. And uh, kudos to Gavin, too, for keeping this thing running and the lights on and everything. So Yeah, I'm tired. I got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but we have some really cool one-timers uh, coming up. We're going to talk uh, to the equipment manager, the Allen Americans. And people are like, what the heck? Equipment managers have the best stories in sports, folks. So we're, you know, we're going to do that. Uh, we, you heard the Cross Hannah story, getting a lot of great feedback about Frank Provenzano, who joined us, about Mike Madano, about the Sean Avery incident in the past, about um, picking uh, Jack Campbell. Uh, so, you know, just all kinds of stories and stuff. So we'll keep doing that as well. So we appreciate you guys, and we'll have more in spits and suds to come. So that's going to do it for today. Hope you enjoyed the episode, everyone.